0: Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Momentum Focus podcast. I am your host, Amia Freeman. And if this is your first time joining us on the podcast, I want to welcome you. And I'm really glad you found it. Um, however, that might have been whether someone shared it um, or you follow us on social media, however, you found it, I know that it's not random, I know it's not a mistake. Um, if you are a returning listener, welcome back. Um, In this series, if this is the first episode of the series that you're catching, um, I want to let you know that we've been covering the topics of what it looks like to be well. And while wellness is such a big, broad word, and it covers a number of different topics, in this season, we are specifically covering what it means to be emotionally well. Um, What does it mean to have a regimen and a workout routine for your emotions. Because y'all know our emotions have an ability to be lazy. (laughs) Our emotions have an ability to have excuses and reasons why they don't want to work out. Um, Our emotions have a way of saying, yeah, well, I joined the fill in the blank gym, you know, for our mind and our spirit. And I have a membership, but I'm just not showing up to do the work. And that is not a shame message. I am sitting in that with you. I am here with you to say, let's do this work together. Um, And that's why we're back, because we're going to talk about what that's going to look like for each of us um, in a very specific space. Um, Even just today, I wrote in my journal, and most of y'all know I'm a big journaler, I opened the pages and on one side, and I just use a sketchbook, on one side, I wrote, God is not and then on the other side, and I woke up with those words on my heart, God is not. And I hesitated to write it because my fear in full transparency was, what if somebody sees my journal and all they saw was God is not? They're going to make an assumption about where, oh, she didn't fell off. She's backslidden. Hold your horses. Because <laughs> on the facing page, I started writing out a fitness plan for September completely not thinking that it had anything to do with God is not. And so I wrote strength, endurance slash cardio flexibility. And then I feel like God took me back to the page where I wrote God is not. And he started giving me all the things that he's not. He doesn't withhold. He's not angry with me. He's not slow. He's not holding things against me. I mean, he just started naming all the things that that he's not. And he said to me, I'm not these things that aren't happening to you the enemy is lying to you and and by default because he has you stuck in believing i um, uh you know i'm withholding that i'm angry that i'm judging you that i'm shaming you you're not becoming well you're not getting stronger you're not being flexible you're not enduring how many times do we see in the bo- in the bible you have need of endurance Right, And after you've done all that you can, then you stand. But if you haven't done all that you can, we're not standing. So let me pull back just for a minute because in today's episode, we're going to talk about what that looks like, how you're feeling, identifying in the spaces where you've had the opportunity to be well, but you didn't take advantage of it. Or you saw that there were opportunities, but you felt like you couldn't get to it. Um, How do you get to the resources that are available? What are the resources that are available to be well? Um, And the scripture that I'm camping in today is found in Isaiah 40. I would read all of it because it honestly reads like a GPS of how do I get there? But the very last part of Isaiah 40 is what I want you to hold on to as we talk through this conversation. And it is in Isaiah 40, 31, it says, but those who trust the Lord will find new strength. They will be strong like the eagles soaring upon, soaring upward on wings. They will walk and run without getting tired. I read it from the, um, I think it's the common English translation. The new living translation that you're probably more familiar with says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Y'all, this is the way we get well. We first have to identify that we're unwell Mm -hmm. and then we have to be willing to do the work. So speaking of doing the work, my guest today, I have to just tell y'all, I had a good laugh cry. Like, you know how you laugh and it brings you to tears because the joy is so good. had a good laugh cry of the way God orchestrates things because my guest is a childhood friend Mm -hmm. and we joked before I hit record that we have a cousin in common. So we're kind of like play cousins, (laughs) but she has known me my entire life, my whole life. Mm -hmm. And we grew up together and most of y'all know my story and we grew up together in the hood shout out to the hood (laughs) and now here we are um like hey look ma i made it Um, (laughs) but she is doing some super crazy good work i got to send a text message to my kids and said y'all listen to this listen to who i'm about to record this episode with and my kids are like whoa that's kind of what's up right like to pay it forward um So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let her introduce herself, but I will tell y'all, there will be links to her TED talk in the show notes because this girl preached that TED stage. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us who you are and what do, and
1: we'll just roll with it. We'll roll. Okay. So I am Latrice Nodgrass, I right? and have been in healthcare for a very long time, over 25 years now. I started out in the front lines, secretary, medical assistant, and kind of moved into management. And as I entered um, my mid to late 30s, early 40s, I began to realize that the way we're delivering healthcare is not it's not right. It's not transformational. It's transactional. So it became very important to me um, to try to do work that is trans, act, transformational. And I began connecting dots. So, Mimi, like, you know, you mean me to me. I know that your
0: guests, <laughs> you That's Mimi. all good. If y'all didn't catch that, I told you she's a childhood friend. So, like, y'all are going to hear her call me Mimi. Y'all can't call me Mimi, though. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, yeah. Okay.
1: So, um, and I began connecting dots because, like Amy said, we grew up in a housing project, you know, subsidized housing. Our parents worked, but um, it was, you know, minimal income. So we had all of our necessities, but didn't always have all of our wants. And I remember having my son, I had my son young. I was 19 and I was on Medicaid and I'm repeating that cycle. So I'm, you know, I'm on, a, I'm living in Section 8 have Medicaid on welfare. And I remember going to the doctor and people not listening to me, um, not acknowledging what I'm telling them.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I didn't know what to call that then, you know, but there was some bias there, some inequities, but fast forward, you know, to the, to this previous couple decades of my life, I'm like, okay, This is why you see black and brown people perishing and dying from disease that they don't that we don't have to die from and and being sick and not being well and why we don't receive mental health and I'm going to put a pin in that and come back to that why we don't receive mental health treatment we just suffer in silence or suffer alone all of this stuff. Is because of inequities and bias and the lack of cultural competency, um, lack of empathy. So I began connecting those dots. Sometimes I called like, up, Trish, you got to do something. Like you have to use your voice and began speaking out. And I went through a, a portion of my life. Um, a year and a half where I was suffering from depression and anxiety, severe debilitating depression and anxiety and being a healthcare executive, I still would not seek, would not seek help. Right. Mm -hmm. So God began to speak to me and tell me I'm about to help you help others to help yourself. So I began talking about when the silence becomes too loud and telling my story because me, to me, I'm just trees, the low, brown, naughty-headed girl from the projects. But there are people who look at me like, wow, you know, the trees. So I felt like if I tell my struggle, then maybe it'll give someone else strength to say, yeah, I'm struggling too, right? Um, because our mental wellness, if, if your mind, body, and spirit are not in connection, you're not well. You're you're, you're, you're just existing, So I knew I had to do something. So um, last year, I started a consulting firm called Equity House. Um, and I do equity work. I also do grief. I'm a grief recovery method specialist. So I do work with grief and some coaching and wrote a book called justice for the health of it. And it focuses on my target audience is the black and brown community, because for me right now, that's a community that's on fire. You know, we're dying. Look at what happened in COVID and just all of these disparities that are out there. So, and then I'm working in healthcare. I'm a healthcare executive at Akron Children's Hospital. So, um, because again, it was very, important for me to work with our most vulnerable and our babies are our most vulnerable. And over 50% of our population at Children's, our families are on Medicaid. So working with this population is just, it's a, it's the calling that God has over my life. This work, if I didn't have to pay bills, me me and eat and, and pay the folks, uncle Sam and all of them, I would do this work for free.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's that much of a passion for me.
0: I can tell even just, I mean, like, what you said to allow God to help you to help others to then help yourself. Like, I mean, just the process of sowing and reaping, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's what, and it even just the, like, we've all heard the, the saying like hurt people, hurt people, but I have just, I'm, I have adopted, but free people, free people, right? Because, yes you could write it off and say hurt people hurt people but now what like because that just gives everybody an out and then we're all just working around walking around hurt and busted and disgusted and nobody's trying to get better but Mm -hmm. I literally told some some friends today like I'm I'm embracing the parts of my story that I've walked out Mm -hmm. where I was reading something recently where she said you know don't don't consider it strange if you see a house that's been burned down but then on the inside of all those ashes you find a photo that is untouched by the fire the ashes or the you know the soot mm-hmm. and i immediately was brought to psalm 139 the beauty for ashes mm-hmm. that the work that you're doing is beauty for ashes work where you see the people that that we've walked it out. Like, cause even as you're telling, I'm like, I was a 19 year old mom on Medicaid and welfare. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? And I didn't know that side of your story, which is really crazy. But to know that like, you'll be able to see because the, the, the empathy and the compassion that you've had, that you have, because you walked through it, you'll be able to spot the people that need the help, even when they look put together, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Or to be able to advocate for the ones that they came in. And like you said, we don't sometimes know what to ask for and we don't know, or we can't ask, right. You think about the kids at Akron mm-hmm. Children's um, or the parents, yeah, children are at Akron Children's, And the parents are so grief stricken that they are at a loss of words that Mm -hmm. they just don't, they don't, they want to know like, who's going to speak up for me. So I just want to pause and applaud you Mm -hmm. for saying yes to this work. Um, And knowing that, I mean, my wheels are spinning of the number of people that I need to get you in touch with and vice versa, because um, we've been talking about the work of health and wellness in the space of justice for black and brown people. Um, because, you know, history, A, <laughs> B, present. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's not get to c. like a history B right now. There is a disparity of wellness. I literally just read an article that um there was a research done on cancer survivors black cancer survivors who did not know their accessibility to mind body tools as a part of their healing process they only know they only knew what was presented to them in front of them and it was never presented to them to be well from a mind body position so now i'm like oh i'm on a mission i'm on a <laughs> mission to put this stuff in front of people, whatever that might look like. Um, you had, you mentioned, you said, okay, a couple of things that I made note of. Um, you talked about you being a grief recovery method coach. Um, tell us about that. What is that? Right. So grief,
1: There. there's a it, grief, it, there's a grieving process, right? So a lot of times when we experience grief, and I want to say grief does not just occur from the physical loss of a loved one grief is the loss of hopes dreams expectations wishing things were better different or more so we are all experiencing grief at different points in our life so this method is an evidence-based evidence-based method from the grief institute they did a study and did work with kent state so it's evidence-based and it's a seven or eight step process where you work through your grief. Mm-hmm. So think about it, Mimi, like if right now you started crying, if, we, if we're if we in public and we start crying, right, we're going to say, I'm so sorry. I'm, if I start crying say, Mimi, I'm so sorry, but why? Mm-hmm. Why are we apologizing? So with grief, when we have these uncomfortable feelings, we instantly try to get out of that feeling. But you can't process what you don't acknowledge. So this this, this method, this eight or seven step method, so if you, you can do it within a group and if you do it as a group, a group of like maybe six, 12 people, it takes eight weeks. But if you do it one-on-one, you can get through it in six or seven weeks, but it forces you to sit in your discomfort and understand and process your feelings and accept those feelings and understand that this is a this is a process and everyone's process looks different, um, but it gives you tools to help you not get stuck. Right. It's okay to grieve, but you know, sometimes it can for me it turned debilitating. So I lost my father January 16th of 2014. And then January 27th of 2015 I lost my grandmother. And then February 10th I lost my uncle. And it sent me into this spiral. That's where I hit this anxiety and depression because I just got stuck. I didn't process my grief. I didn't deal with my emotions. I didn't do my work. Um to help me grieve appropriately, there's a healthy way to grieve. And so this, this method kind of helps you helps you through that. So one of the exercises is this lost graph, where you I did my lost graph on my father. So you started off with your earliest memory of the person. And you take that timeline all the way through until their death and you hit on certain points and you, we tell you to think about this, think about that and put it on this line either up or down and we talk through it. And that was so, like that just did something to my spirit. It helped me acknowledge, you know, that I was angry at him for dying, right? We go through that and and it's normal. You know, so when I saw that on that paper and I was forced to acknowledge that emotion, it allowed me to begin to do some internal work. Um, And then you have to write a goodbye letter. I mean, when I tell you, I told that lady, I ain't doing that because I'm going to see my dad again. You know, I instantly went to that. I'm like, I'm going to see him again. I'm not writing no goodbye letter. And they forced me to do it. And it was like a relief, a weight just came up off of me, you know, so it really does help. Um, navigate grief because grief is it's a it's it's I'm saying look
0: like, now I'm over here like choking up because I'm like <laughs> just uh
1: man it's deep grief is deep you know and and we can't just and people will tell you it's gonna be okay time healing nope not true right so this it just helps you it it's really 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 it makes you do your work so that you can grieve in a healthy manner.
0: Yeah know? So when you, man, okay, let me <laughs> gather myself, <laughs> because I, and I'm, I hesitate to word it this way, but from the, t- from the moment that you sat down with this grief counselor, grief coach, and they gave you this permission mm-hmm. to graph these memories. And, and I wrote in my notes, charting the memories. Yeah. Um, from the time you started to the time that you allowed yourself to write that goodbye letter about how much time was that? Do you remember? It was
1: it. So in the process, you write your, you write your, you, I'm sorry, you do your graph. And then the next week you share your graph and you write your goodbye story. So you get a week. Oh, wow that. Yeah. You get a week to process that. And you identify those emotions as an emotion that you think is positive and an emotion that you feel is negative. And you get to talk about why you identify them as that way. But it, it lets you, I say I'm pulling on the Yanya Van Zijn. It lets you sit in your stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, because th- you said it earlier, like to sit in the uncomfortable of and it didn't even, I didn't even think about the fact that if we were in public and we started crying, oh, I'm so sorry. Because uh-huh. when you said, when you first said, if we just started crying right now and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's about to make me cry. <laughs> I cry at the drop of a dime, first of all. But the thought of that, of like our innate mm-hmm. reaction is to apologize for our tears Yeah, and then to feel Uh, to feel our feelings like my mentor says feel your feelings but don't do them right we get to feel our feelings and not do them but what do you do when you feel the feelings and the feelings do have you feeling debilitated Mm -hmm. because at first thought of the loss graph I'm like I'm good (laughs) (laughs) I've had too much loss to graph you know what I mean because to hear you like hit, I'm telling you, and our stories are so mm-hmm. parallel, it's ridiculous, because I lost my dad in 2014. Wow. And then I lost my nephew in 2015. And then I lost my niece in 2020. Mm-hmm. And then I lost my father-in-law in 2020. And like, like to chart the losses and there were other losses in between there, but I'm just thinking of the ones that hit me hardest. Um, and I'm sure
1: has its own chart. So you would do a chart on your dad, a chart on your nephew, a chart on your niece. And it allows you to begin to put those feelings on paper and understand why you feel like that and give yourself permission to feel like that.
0: Hmm. You know? Yeah. Wow. So did you discover, how did you discover the, the grief recovery method? What, what made you find it?
1: Doing, so doing some consulting work with a group in Cleveland um, that was focused on infant mortality rates in the African-American community. So we found that a lot of these mothers who have um, lost their children before the age of one are grieving. And no one is helping them deal with that grief. So we would, we got, we had a um, network of grief recovery specialists that were able to work with these these mothers and help them with grief. And now you're not a counselor or a therapist as a grief recovery specialist. So we also had a network of Black and Brown therapists to then connect these mothers with, but we found they're grieving. So if I'm grieving, if, if you know I've lost my baby and I have other kids in the home and I'm grieving and no one is helping me deal with this grief, then everything else in my life is falling apart because I have this undealt with grief. So we felt that that was a critical component to add to a resource for these mothers, many of them young, Many of them on welfare, on Medicaid. You know, fighting this vicious spider web of poverty with limited resources. So, how can we help them? Because they still have to show up for the kids that they have. They still have to be able to show up for life, and they're stuck in this vicious cycle of this grief. So, how can we help? And so, we, um, the organizers of that of that group, were familiar with the Grief Recovery Institute, which has been around for a very long time. Um, So we specifically created a network of people that looked like the population we were serving to help because you know how it is. There's this there's a there's a trust when you're talking with someone that looks like you that can speak, speak your language and understand your pain on a different level. So it was very important that we had that network of people of color to help these mothers deal with that grief piece so that they could still be healthy and present. For their family, because grief, like stress, you know, we used to hear our parents and grandparents say grief will, stress will kill you, but no, for real stress will kill you and undealt with grief will turn into stress.
0: Hmm. True. I mean, goodness, I'm just thinking about the fact that you said grief isn't just limited to the loss of a loved one, but it's the loss of hope and expectations and dreams and how many of us are grieving our former selves, or the person we thought we were going to be. I have, I keep, and I probably have said this before on the podcast before, but um, I keep on my office wall, a copy of the 23rd Psalm. And it's right behind my camera on my screen. (laughs) So that like, if my eyes begin to wander, (laughs) they will land in safe places. Um, But whenever I think of that psalm, and I want to say that it was when my niece passed away that God took me to that psalm as almost like a healing bomb. And most people know Psalm 23 as like the benevolence, of, you know, scripture. It's read it oftentimes at funerals. Yeah. But God started showing me that, like, what if Psalm 23 became? A redemptive scripture for us of like though I walk through the fat the valley of the shadow of my former self. I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff they comfort me, and so in that context of you talking about charting the memories and the loss graph of my dreams and my hopes. And my expectate, like, see, now I'm about to cry, <laughs> yeah. like charting that yeah. and then writing a goodbye letter to her. Because I remember reading years ago, a Bible study, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Tony Evans, but it's one of his daughters, Chris, uh, not Priscilla Shire, uh, Crystal Evans Hurst. She wrote a book. A couple years ago, and it's called She's Still There. Mm. In the book, she talks about the little girl who didn't get A, B, and C. The little girl who had X, Y, and Z. (laughs) Both of them. She's still there. (sighs) The 13 year old who got bullied in eighth grade. She's still there. The girl who was popular in high school. She's still there. Mm -hmm. The girl who didn't make homecoming prom queen, will you call it whatever you want, you know, roll on down the graph. (laughs) She's still there. And in the book, she says, if you don't address her, just like you said, you can't process what you don't acknowledge. And, And she says in the book, if you don't acknowledge her, she is going to show up at the most inconvenient time. And she said, here we are, adult women walking around with this little girl in us. And she will make sure that you know she's still there, either because she's grieving or because she wants to be acknowledged or she's still bratty. Like You call it what you want, she'll show up. And I think about how many women have lived a life of sacrificing to either have children or what there are a number of scenarios that we could go down. Um, But I'll just put myself out there of like, I look at the fact that I became a stay at home mom when I had my third child. And I tell people all the time, like fitness was not in my plan. My plan was to move to Atlanta and to work at CNN, but God had other plans. Bless the Lord. All my soul and all that is within me. (laughs) God had other plans, and had those plans not become what they are, I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. Right. So I'm grateful for the plan, but there are moments where I pause and I think about, like, wow, I wonder if she's still there. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so every now and then, God will show me where he doesn't waste anything. And he'll use different things. Like I wanted to be a reporter here. I am on a podcast. So reporting the good news, right. um, <laughs> but I I bring that up because I just, I want to camp for a second and, and kind of piggyback the grief recovery, along with what you mentioned about um, why we don't get help for mental health. And specifically talk to the women who are grieving their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say
1: a part of this goodbye letter. For example, if you were writing one to yourself that decided not to move to Atlanta to work on CNN. So there are things that you forgive yourself for. So you will say, you know, I forgive you for you know, changing your career path. It was okay, you know, so you letting those things go. So you said women that are grieving. I got myself off topic.
0: What did you ask me, Mimi? You said women that are grieving their own lives to that point of like it went in a direction that you had no clue that's where it was going.
1: Right, right. So you have to you have to process it. And for me, I journal. Journaling helps me. So if I have, you know, a feeling that I'm struggling with, or I just start writing and I just, I just let it because I feel like you have to acknowledge your feelings in some form. I am an advocate of everyone having a therapist. I think that that is self care. That is healthy to have a therapist because we deal as women, we deal with so much in life. So we're in taking so much junk. It just feels good to sit. And just release that junk onto somebody else. <laughs> and, you know, have them affirm, you You okay, you right to feel that way. You don't know, it's just like, sometimes you just need that person to say, girl, you ain't crazy. It's okay that you feel right. That. <laughs> so yeah. don't stuff it. We are so quick. So if I'm having an uncomfortable moment, I want to get up and move around and do things because I don't want to think about it. Give yourself time to process and think about it. Because who we were, it's not who God intended us to be, right? So pull, So look at the positive and think about, you know, where you're at now and try to force your mind to think more positively about what you do have instead of what you've done. And I've been there, you know, where I'm like, dang, I should have did this and now I'm stuck and, and then God will tell me, you are putting that out. Into the universe, you're speaking that into existence. Stop it, you know. And we do that. And I think with mental health, especially Black women, it is yet another deficit. So my fear was when I was dealing with the anxiety and depression, and I went a whole year severe anxiety attacks. Not one. It was bad. It was debilitating. But I said, if I go to the doctor, it's going to end up on my medical record. And if it ends up on my medical record, my employer could not this, girl, this is the scenario my mind is taking me down. Now my job ain't looking at my medical record, but in my mind, if it's on my medical record, my job pay my benefits. So they may get my record and see that I've been to a therapist and then they're going to say, I'm not capable of doing my job and it's going to derail my career. That was a scenario I had set up for myself. B.B. Moore Campbell, who was the mother of, Um, Her name is escaping me, Maya. She was on the 90s sitcom In the House with LL Cool J. Mm -hmm. So she has severe mental illness. And her mother wrote a book and she has a quote. She says, Black people, Black and brown people do not seek mental health care because it is yet another deficit, right? And then also historically, I'm about to go way back to the civil rights era. I read a book called Black Fatigue. And it talks about in the civil rights era, therapists said that our civil rights activists were mentally ill. So if they, a couple of them had gone to a therapist, they were deemed mentally ill. So it was carried through the generations that these therapists were putting diagnoses on us that weren't correct. And these diagnoses led to institutional and just all these different things. So you think about our grandmother's grandmother, 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 that's passed with a generation. Don't mess with no psychiatrist. Don't go to them people. They're going to diagnose you with something that's not right. And they're going to throw you in the insane asylum. So these things are historical. So we have this distrust and our our mistrust is real. You know, it is real. So we won't go get help because we feel like it's another. And as a woman, it's another deficit. So we're trying to have careers and make moves and be powerful, have a voice at the table. So we don't want anyone to deem us as weak. And for some reason, your mental health has this stigma that you're weak. But if you if you cut your finger, you're gonna go to the doctor because you're gonna stop that bleed. So if your heart is bleeding. You need to go take care of But If your mind is not healthy, you can't soar. So we have to work to remove this stigma because most people are not getting help because of the stigma of it all. And that's sad.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, every bit of me just wants to say, but how do we remove the stigma? Because, you know, oh, yeah. like that's the big question. Mm-hmm. So so that's my question. Like, that's the question that pops up. So what are your thoughts on that? A couple
1: things. One thing we have to normalize it. We have to make it normal to talk about. So me, I every time I'm on a platform and I have the ability to talk to somebody, I say I have a therapist. I, was, I had depression and anxiety. I had to take medicine. I want to talk to somebody because I think we have to normalize it because it has a taboo. We don't talk about it. Oh, don't tell nobody you. No, don't tell nobody that. No, yes, tell people. We have to normal. I keep hearing something, girl. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to know. Okay, so we got to normalize it, one. <laughs> and then number two, we are doing things in the medical profession. So we are embedding behavioral health in our primary care offices, right? So you go to your primary care doctor and there are therapists that are a part of the care team. So no, you're not going to a separate place that says behavioral health on the door. We realize that we have to integrate it into your primary care regimen to help remove that stigma. Hmm. So that is what we're doing, and that um, is is has really taken off in healthcare, from children all the way up to our seniors. We are wrapping, we're wrapping behavioral health into primary care, so you don't have to go to a separate place, and you can so. Triggers can be identified. So, if you're my doctor and I'm coming to see you for my high blood pressure, and then we do a depression screening, you know, have you felt depressed? Have you not? And when we identify that, we're able to just say, you know, wait a minute, I'm going to be back in and we'll send a therapist in, Hmm. you know, to talk to you. So, we're attaching you right there within that visit so you don't have to reach out you don't have to leave there so that's something that we're trying to do to help because we realize that stigma is there it's going to take centuries to undo it may never happen in our lifetime right the removal of that stigma although I do have hope in our millennials because they they kind of don't care what people think they like I'm gonna be healthy I'm gonna live my best life you know
0: right right Um, (laughs) and it like it blesses me because my kids are all millennials and so To see that they're like, oh, no, my mental health matters. It matters. And I will see to it that all of my friends are emotionally stable as well. And I had to tell my son, because he's a senior in college this year, and I had to tell him, like, I need you to not be on a hustle or grind because that mentality is just it's gone. like mm-hmm. let's not go there because it will it'll run you raggedy trying to be all the things for all the people in all the places all the time. and you'll you'll just be so like compartmentalized that you won't be together and you won't know what's coming and what's going. And at the end of the day, you and your well-being is all that matters to me. And he was like, I needed to know that. Yeah. That I told him, I'm like, listen, and I even tease him because he's, you know, he's on a four year plan. I'm like, if it takes you five years, bless it, (laughs) like (laughs) bless it, because I'm not gonna be mad at you. You know what I mean? Like, so be it. Like, please don't like put yourself on a a crunch. I was literally driving down the street the other day and was like, just kind of talking to God about some things that I have been. I think overthinking. And I drove, I drove past a um, behavioral health clinic and I just happened to glance up and notice it. And to your point, like, and I wasn't even driving into the place, but I was driving past it, but I was like, man, I wonder what it feels like to walk through those doors. And because it sits, I mean, it sits in an office park, but then there are other medical practices in that office park, but there's a sign above the door that says, here's who we are. Yeah. And I just like, I likened it and this is no disrespect or disregard to how that actually feels, but I likened it to walking in the gym the first time as a brand new person. And I had my friends laughing because like, I've been in the fitness industry almost 20 years, but I joined a gym for the first time in almost 20 years. Cause I haven't ever had to join a gym. Like I've always worked there. <laughs> I joined the gym. And the first time walking in I almost threw up because I was like, I'm the new girl. They all know each other. I'm probably not in shape like them. They're all going to be like sizing me up. And I'm, and I felt myself shrinking in my own skin and standing in the back of the room to do the workout. And I'm not a back of the room. Right. No person, I'm like, put me on the front row, like in front of the instructor. <laughs> um, and and the overwhelming emotions that stirred up of just pulling into the parking lot. And so when I drove past this behavioral health clinic the other day, I was like, I wonder if there's a way to destigmatize, like the signage and. And a couple of friends of mine that are doing similar work to you, like they've been changing their logos so that the logos look more inviting and they don't look so Mm -hmm. stoic and like matter of fact stamped, like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like very hard and I don't know, but they've been changing their, their approach, like their logo just visually so that it looks more aesthetically, um, relaxing and, like more meditative and you know what I mean and softer yeah. Um. and it's wild just how like all those things play into whether or not we're gonna say yes to take you know to sign up for the program or whatnot um, we have to give ourselves permission to
1: not be okay it's okay to not be okay it's just not okay not to talk about it or stay there and and it's it's a process you know it's it's really a process but we just have to have that you know think about you know you me me and probably your audience that strong faith base i talk to a lot of people that still say i'm going to pray about it you know well you got to you pray about it and take action faith without works is dead
0: yeah cuz i mean even the bible says faith without works is dead mm-hmm.
1: yeah and and there are i i try to educate people on do your homework there are faith-based behavioral health organizations if if you do your homework you can find exact male, female you know your, your same faith your you know you have to do your homework and you can find someone that fits what you need. I just think we really more of this talking about it bringing it front and center um, so that people realize it's okay it's okay.
0: Yeah. Man, I'm like, there's like a bunch of side conversations (laughs) that I have floating in my head right now. Um, Just I want to just for the sake of time, but not to miss it. um, I want to circle back to you mentioned that you have a book, Justice for the Health of It. Um, Give us just a quick overview of what that book is about. And I'll be sure to add um, in the show notes where y'all can get this book and a couple of other resources that she's mentioned.
1: It's basically about health disparities and how they impact health outcomes of the black and brown community. And what it takes all of us, you know, so what allies can do, you know, what the faith-based community can do. And at the beginning of the book, I, I really focus on historical events. So you think about redlining and you'll hear folks say, well, that was a long time ago, but there's still residual effects. We have people living in food deserts because of redlining mm-hmm. our schools are underfunded and don't have the resources that they need which is then leading our kids the edu- the the school to prison pipeline because of redlining your taxes are attached to the to the to your school system. So all of these historical factors um, that are still having an impact. My God brother, Dr. Eric Johnson, he said, people that are informed by by a sense of history tend to view life just a little bit different. So I think it is very important that we understand the historical ramifications of systemic racism of implicit bias and how all of those things affect the health and wellness of not only individuals, but entire communities, right? And what can we do about it? Because we all can do something to help that, you know, privilege it, it, its privilege um, is, you know, when something isn't a problem, um, when we talk about white privilege or any type of privilege, it just means that it's not a problem for me. Right, that's we and we all have privilege. Certain things just aren't a problem for me. And that's my privilege, but it does not dismiss me from trying to make things better. I we all need to be allies. So trying to get people to understand allyship is very, very important history plays a part in this and we have to call a spade a spade. The black and brown communities are dying. You spoke about cancer. I talk about that in the book too. Black women that are diagnosed with cancer at the same time as white women, the same stages we are dying at a much higher rate. That has nothing to do with the disease and the disease state. That is social and environmental injustices and things that we're just sweeping under the rug because it's difficult to talk about. We gotta have them tough conversations and have this stuff bubbling to the top. And I had someone tell me, Your book is controversial. That's okay. I'm I'm creating a safe space. Any topic where there's a varying of opinions is going to be controversial. And that's the
0: stuff we need to be talking about right I mean didn't John Lewis say make good trouble, trouble. <laughs> good <laughs> trouble." <laughs> hey yeah. listen you know what I am here for it because like I don't know like I know that this is a space that God has called me to and I'm even just as you were just breaking all that down just kind of smiling on the inside of watching God bring this space to hear, because in making this space available, because I committed to turning this microphone over to any voice that would help people to be well and to be free, in whatever captivity, whatever way they have felt in bondage, you know. Um, and we don't realize as a Black and Brown people, and if you're listening and you're not Black and Brown, now you know. Um, (laughs) if you're listening and you are black and Brown now, you know, um, you may have already known, but I'm not going to assume. Um, but we often just carry things across generations that were, that fall in the, the category of health disparities that we just assume that's just a process of like how our family behaves. But that's just like we we get to break that that curse and get well, and see to it that our children are healthy and well, Um, and it just
1: get me started on men. It's just like come on, yeah. And then we get upset about things. We go like you know you said I'll start preaching. You get I feel the fire bubbling up inside, and you know we'll go to the doctor and they lack culturally competent care, and we just say I ain't going back. Yeah. So now your diet, you know, your diabetes is out of control. You sick. That's like you drinking the poison waiting on your doctor to die. No, use your voice Yeah, and express the man that you're treated appropriately. Don't just stop going. So it's just, it's so much to, it's just this vicious, vicious, vicious spider web. And it crosses socioeconomic backgrounds. It's, it's just ah it just don't have to be this way we're dying for nothing
0: for nothing oh that's what I was gonna say like the things that have plagued culturally um and economically don't have to be they just don't have to be um well I I'm gonna I'm gonna stop us there because I could keep okay. going and I can see us both getting worked up like listen we got work to do with. <laughs> I am just really grateful for the work that you're doing. And like I said, I'm going to drop in the show notes um, links to get your book, a link for people to find you um, and just additional resources. And um, I feel like I need to bring you back so we can keep talking. So y'all stay tuned because she might be back. Um, But I don't want to wrap up the show without doing what I like to do with each guest and just leave on a lighter note, um, not to disregard or disrespect the heavy topic that we discussed, but for me, this is how I take care of my mental health. Music is a therapy for me. Um, so my question to you is what song makes you get up and kind of get out of your funk? And it doesn't have to be gospel or Christian. The song that's like getting me up out of my funk right now is I'm cool like that i'm black like that <laughs> so, so no song is off limits i just might not put the link to the song in the show notes. all right all right uh music
1: is my piece um and for me, it, it depends on the mood that I'm in, but I, my go-to is praise and worship. I start my day, I'm going to start my day with somebody's praise and worship. And, and Brian Courtney Williams is my, well, Wilson. Brian Williams, Courtney I'm Wilson, my, yeah. Yes, yeah. He's my favorite. Um, he, and the song is escaping me, but I make sure I listen to it every single day, the noise. Um, Now that, ah, why can't I think of the name of the song? I think I know what song you're talking about because I can, I can hear your noise. Voice. So I can finally hear, yeah. Yeah. So that's my goal because I'm like just clear my mental. Yeah. But girl, my playlist, my friends laugh at me because my playlist go from gospel to Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I, you know, so I'm like, I'm just, I'm singing Kirk Franklin. And the next thing I'm like, yeah, right. you know, I'm on Tupac or on some trap something. And my son one day was like, Ma, why are you listening to that? I said, because I like it. Like I Thank will you. listen to rap music. I will listen to God. And it's all on the same playlist. So don't get in my car judging me. Right, I'm I was a like, sometimes in my car.
0: Right, listen, listen. I told my son, I sent my middle son a text, and I said, "Am I allowed to play this song?" And I didn't send in the song. I just said, "On oh, my mama, on my hood." He was like, "No." <laughs> was like, okay, never mind. Like my heart's a hey. me by Tupac. Right now, that get me going. Right, <laughs> right. hey. I think I've confessed on this podcast in college, my brother built me a subwoofer to put in the hatch of my Honda Civic and I bumped Tupac and Snoop Dogg. So there's that. (laughs) Um, Okay. Lastly, um, what is your favorite scripture or what scripture is God speaking to you about right now that you're, that is like allowing you to stay anchored?
1: My favorite scripture is Romans 8, 28. All things work together, right? Because I feel like life has its ebbs and flows. It has its ups and downs. You get curve balls. You may have your mind and heart set on something and it does not happen. But at the end of the day, it's working for your good. So I, it reminds me to just get out of God's way you know, and, and let him move in my life. And when something doesn't happen, it's okay. It's for his good. So that has been my go-to scripture. maybe probably for the last 20 years, that is my scripture. I feel like in all situations and all stages of my life, I have to come back to that because things don't always go how I want them to go. Um, You know,
0: but God is working it out for my good and he hasn't failed me yet. Yeah. Amen. I love it. Well, like I said, I'm grateful for the work that you're doing and I'm gonna drop your name in the ear of a couple of people that I think you'd be a great resource uh, to partner with or to connect with at the very least. Um, And I think that you'll be back in this space because I know there's more for us to talk about. Um, For those of y'all that have been listening, um, if you do If anything that we've talked about today feels like you want to take some steps to to get healthy and to get whole um, and and heal some of those deeper grief wounds and emotional, um, just the feelings that you can't put words around and you need somebody to literally walk with you and help you go find the help that you need, um, I will be here for you. I will leave my email address and contact information I'm also going to leave information that she's discussed in the podcast today in the notes. Um, And I have recently came across a link to help you find a a Christian therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, And so any resources that I do have to be able to help you in that space, they will be in the show notes. Y'all can also reach out to me by email. Even if you just need somebody to talk to, I will tell you, um, as a caveat that if you do email me and I and I can and I can tell that you, well, let me just say that my heart for you is for you to be well. And if you email me and want to talk, and I know that that is outside of my scope of practice, I am obligated to help you get well and send you down the path that allows you to get well. I will love you and I will pray with you, but I will also help you be well. Um, I'm grateful that you have listened to this entire episode. And I ask that if you listened to the episode, would you reach out to me and let me know? Um, cause I want to know who I don't not necessarily just want to know who we reached. I want to know that we are reaching the right people. Would you also consider sharing it with someone, um, and just share it with them and just say, man, I listened to this woman talk about so many good things. Don't tell them maybe what it's about, but just share it and see where God takes it. Um, as always, I pray that the conversations that we have on this podcast help you to adjust your focus, not by shaking our finger at you and telling you, hey, you need to adjust your focus, but that we help you to think about what you're thinking about, and it helps redirect you and get you back on the straight path with God. He is never going to leave you. He is never going to ask you to figure it out on our on your own, and that is why we're here, and that's why we bring the guests here that we have uh, in this lifetime of being on air. Until we all get to chat again, thank you, and we will talk with you soon. Love y'all and be blessed.